It's Jim Paff, and welcome back to the Against Nice podcast, where we believe that nice people are the cruelest of all people because they're subjective and selfish in the way that they address society. Kind people have the interests of others in mind, but they speak truth into society. Follow us on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and also uh, give us your review of the podcast. You can also follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting apps. Now let's get to the show. Well, we've got a very exciting interview today with a gentleman named Basil Boz. If you've ever seen the uh, Blacklist uh, series, you've seen him on there uh, playing one of the agents. Uh, he has a really great personal story. He's uh, He was in the Marines, Special Forces, uh, did intelligence work in Special Forces, ended up in the CIA. As he says, he spent time in some of these uh, areas uh, that where there were really undermining governments and stuff. He's really been on the inside. And many, many years ago, while in the CIA, he said, listen, I, I got to stop this. And he got involved in, uh, of course, obviously television, but he eventually, but he is around the world rescuing children and others who have been kidnapped, who are subject to sexual abuse. And he'll put together teams at no profit to go rescue these people all over the place. And they use his skills from his special forces and CIA days and others that have similar skills. It's a really cool story what he's done, but he's got some very interesting things to say. And uh, without further ado, let's uh, start our interview with Basil Boz. So I'm really excited today to have my friend Basil Boz on the podcast. He is, this guy has got a resume that I think a lot of people would seemingly be envious of. What I love about the guy is that his resume is not the most important thing to him. It's what he's trying to do to help and change people's lives. But his resume gives him a lot of capability to do that. And I'm really happy to have him on the show. Uh, Basil Boz is a former CIA intelligence special operations group officer. He's a graduate of the Citadel in South Carolina. By the way, I got some connections to South Carolina. We could maybe talk about that. Great institution, interesting institution. Uh, he's a recipient of the Intelligence Commendation Medal and a former counterterrorism officer in the United States Marine Corps. He's on, from the uh, NBC program, The Blacklist. He was on many episodes there. Um, and he's got a book that probably everyone needs to read. It's uh, something bigger than overthrowing small governments. And when you're in the CIA, you deal with that particular issue at some points. And of course, it's a whole lot more than that, I know, with the CIA. But Basil Boz, thanks for coming on the Against Nice podcast. I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks, Jim. God bless you, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, um, wow, have we got times right now in this country. I think... um, I'm curious, uh, before I, I'm going to ask you a few questions about your background, but to kind of set this up, when we look at the times that we're in right now, from your perspective and the things that you've done in your life, what's, what's your basic take on, uh, on what we see going on right now? What's, what's really, I mean, Hold on. I'll let you finish that. No worries. No, I'm sorry. I can edit it. Gosh. 
I sincerely apologize. All right, it's off. Let's okay, cool. No problem. No, I'll, I'll do it. Hey, from your from your perspective and your background, we'll, we'll get into your background a little bit here in a minute. But when you look at what's taking place in this country right now, what do you, how do you really see what's happening? What's what's your perspective on it? What's your concerns? Uh, what do you think are the most important things for people to understand about what's going on in this country? Well, I, I, I'm going to make an assumption here, Jim. You're talking about all the turmoil we're in right now. Yes, BLM, COVID-19. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you read about in spy books. <laughs> you know, what, what do you think about that? You know, I think that uh, the country, when we hear about the country being divided, it's divided on many different levels. It's divided on a informational level, Jim, where there are people that absolutely do not believe uh, in any, uh, anything that could possibly happen to the nation by people who intentionally decided that they wanted to destroy the nation. Yeah. So if you believe that, or if you come out of a community where you're gathering intelligence or like ourselves in the CIA who have spent many, many years uh, stopping similar things from happening, um, then people call you conspiracy theorists. Um, then there, there are those other people that literally don't want to believe anything uh, that's going on and they want to keep their head in the sand. Um, and then they uh, don't have the education or the knowledge or the, the gumption, so to say, to research it even deeper uh, to understand that some of it is orchestrated. Um, people are being paid to do certain things. Um, and then there are those people who are true patriots of the country and will get on board with almost anything they can to find out what the truth is, what's happening, why are we, why is all this uh, stupidity happening? And then there are those people, again, divided, who are hardcore socialists, communists, globalists, that literally want to be a part of anything that destroys the United States. Take all of that and put a spirit of evil and destruction <laughs> around all of that in a bubble. Yeah. And you've got, you've got, you're looking at what we have in the United States now. Um, coming out of the intelligence community, Jim, when I first started seeing all the turmoil take place in the nation, um, being someone who has participated in the overthrowing of governments in our days for democracy, um, the process is still the same. The playbook's still the same. So for many, many people who uh, don't live in our world, that don't come out of a world of espionage or psyops or whatever it may be, um, this is foreign to them. Um, they really believe like BLM is just about Black Lives Matters. They don't do the research to see that Black Lives Matters, that word in itself, was marketed, was, was, was studied. How can, we, how can we create a name so that if anybody goes against it, it looks like to you that black lives don't matter? Well, they did it. As we know, it's a Marxist organization and there are still some people that want it to be what they want it to be, even though they're not looking at what it is. Same thing with Antifa, same thing with the Socialist Party, same thing with globalists. I mean, we have so much evidence showing that the world literally at a global level is attacking the United States 
wants to destroy our way of life and the Constitution of the United States of America. In fact, we even have video and evidence, and you can, people can even find it, of people literally talking about destroying the United States. This is not, this is not a new ballgame for us. People have always been wanting to destroy the United States because we're the good guys, you know. Right. The sad part is this, is that we have so many people in the United States that don't understand constitutional law. They don't understand the Constitution. They don't even destroy, they don't even understand the history in our country enough to live their lives to honor our forefathers who gave us everything we have. We, today, we don't own this country. We, the people, this is a gift to us. By people before us that fought in the American Revolution, just, they gave their lives, they gave everything they own so that we could actually benefit from this 150, 200 years later and everything. But we have people in the country now that call themselves, they're born here and they're US citizens, but they're not Americans. You yeah. know, I said this before, just because you're born in this country doesn't give you a free hall pass to go around destroying it. So if we look at what's taking place in Portland and Chicago, Minneapolis, all those places, and we want to look at it from a logical standpoint, then follow the money. Follow the money and see who's being paid to protest. Who's being, who got shipped into the country during Obama and Clinton's time. How about those Ukrainians that already know a lot about Antifa? You know, there's, there's a whole intel world and, that, and a whole world of gathering intelligence that points to one simple fact, that the nation is under attack there is a revolution occurring and that they want to destroy pretty much everything that, that President Trump and his administration are upholding for we the people. And here's the real funny thing, and I don't mean to be long-winded about this. Every time I hear people going after Donald Trump, I listen and I go, you guys are so stupid. One man does not have all of that power. He has an entire administration around him. Now, you might want to call it the Trump administration, but what you really have up there are people who believe in the Constitution, they believe in the rule of law, they believe in the people of this country, and almost everything that they have been doing as an administration that we, the people, the majority, put into office has been for the good of the people. But they won't, they won't talk about those things. It's just like when you saw the DNC in their last little fiasco mm -hmm. on TV, right? Did they talk about the riots? Did they talk about globalist influence? Did they talk about what they're going to do about Iran and its nuclear weapons? Did they talk about all the big issues? Did they talk about the economy necessarily and how good it is? No. All the big issues that matter to the American people, they didn't talk about it. You know why? Because they can't talk about it because they're a bunch of monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, the, the reality is that uh, – for, for all of his faults, and he has some, the one thing that Donald Trump brings to this whole political thing, and I've been in the middle of this for 30 plus years, I've been doing this politics stuff a lot in DC, but just all over the country. And I'm, I'm, there's never been anyone who's been willing to challenge the system as it exists. A lot of people don't understand that the biggest problem we have with Washington DC is that it has so much power that it matters. Mm -hmm. which it should have so little power that it doesn't matter much of a wit. 
I mean, the corruption right. in the Ulysses S. Grant administration back in the 19th century, which, by the way, he was one of the greatest Americans ever, if people really look at his story. But they talk about corruption in there. I mean, that, that doesn't, even, doesn't even register on the radar of the potential corruption when you've got the large expanse of government that we have before us right now. And, and the second thing is the bureaucratic state, which people call the deep state. And you may have better insight into this than me, but it's not like there's, you know, this cabal of, hundred, of tens of thousands of uh, federal bureaucrats get together and, and kind of scheme about what they're going to do. There's a degree of that maybe in, in small groups. But the bigger thing is just the attitude, just the idea idea of what they've done, that they really do feel like that they're more important than our elected officials. And the reason for that, again, goes back to the first matter, which is the size of it and that it matters so much and that one bureaucrat can have an effect. Just one bureaucrat in the EPA can affect the lives of hundreds of thousands of people all with just the stroke of a pin. And that is really at the core of our problem. Is that how you see it? And how does that relate to your experience uh, working in the federal government as well? I do, as you know, coming out of the CIA, we have access to a lot of intelligence. So uh, let, me, let me just back up a little bit on, in reference to your cabal, your cabal statement. Yeah. Uh, we may not have a cabal, uh, uh, and the deep state may not be the cabal as it was on the blacklist, but I will tell you that there are certain pockets of very powerful people, mostly globalists, uh, Clapper, John Brennan, Comey, we saw that people, uh, mostly a lot in the Democratic Party, probably some in the Republican Party, um, that are all about having the elite and having the poor, which is a socialist system. And we see that because the elite are hardly ever being held accountable. Now, I believe from from what I'm hearing that the Trump administration uh, is going to kind of go after that a little bit. And yep. there might be somebody finally being held accountable when he said draining the swamp. I believe that the, the Democrats, I believe that those who are aligned with the Democrats or the Socialist Democratic Party or the globalists, whatever, are actually running scared right now. And that's another big reason why they do not want Trump reelected, because I think, you know, you've got four years to clean up DOJ, clean up the bureaucracy before you can even really indict anybody, you know, and you collect all that evidence. And I think that the crimes that have been committed, um, which are kind of obvious to a lot of us, I think that there could be justice being served. So people are running scared of that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, President Trump is not perfect, but never, neither was John F. Kennedy. And look at how many people liked him. Neither yep. was Ronald Reagan. Uh, right. It was George Bush. Neither was, uh, you know, probably the closest we'll ever get to it. Maybe Abraham Lincoln was a pretty good guy, you know, George Washington, all those. But we'll George Washington, know. impeccable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but the reality of it is we didn't, we're, we're not hiring the man. I know that sounds weird to a lot of people. You're hiring his leadership. And I have to tell you what, I come from a whole world of leaders. Now, you may not like his delivery. I kind of think he's funny from time to time, to be very honest with you. I agree. (laughs) Um, But if you take a look at his track record and what he's done in the last four years regarding leadership, it's impressive. It's impressive. Um, He he just about has done everything he said he was going to do. That's what you have to have in the nation. You have to have somebody who's going to keep their word, you know, and, and has to be a leader 
and in front of the rest of the world. You and I have both seen Donald Trump stand up at the UN and other places and just basically slap him in the face and go, guess what? We're never going to be a socialist nation. We're not yeah. going to be a globalist nation. We're going to be the United States of America. We're going to have our own sovereign nation, and that's the way it's going to be, and we'll fight to the death of it. Now, that scares a lot of people who, guess what, just want to get on board with the rest of the world. Well, guess what? We don't want to be on board with the rest of the world. We want to be the United States of America. So I like what he's doing. I think he needs another four years. I like what the administration's doing. And I will tell you this, we, we do get this question. If Donald Trump wins, will we have civil strife? Well, not any more than we have right now, to be honest with you, I think. If Donald Trump doesn't win, you will see civil war in this country. And it will play itself out like this. Biden and Kamala, or however you want to pronounce her name and everybody, <laughs> and the Social Democrats will get in the seat. There'll be a split between the military here in the United States. Biden will send in the United Nations to take sides with those military that are loyal to him. You will see a civil war in here that will not be like out of a movie where people are just shooting paintballs. You'll see bombings, you'll see jets, you'll see tanks, you'll see the United States of America literally ravaged until it looks like something like Syria. Now, a lot of people go, well, that's a little over the top, don't you think? Hey, do you know how many third world nations I've been in that were totally destroyed? And you take a look at pictures 10 years previous when it was like an amazing city. Destruction can come overnight like that. And everything that is happening right now in the United States and the attitude of the Socialist Democratic Party tells me that that's exactly what they want. They want to turn people against people. They want to, they want to create civil war. And, we, and, we, and this didn't just come overnight. Look, when Obama was in, change the history books. How about start teaching good history? You know what? Not to promote it. I tell people this. See this book right here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Collar. One of the, the Constitution made, made easy by my colleagues. We should have every kid in school should be reading that book. But no, do you know what we have them reading? I just saw a thing last night. We've got some guy their fourth day in school and they're studying about BLM and Antifa right now. You know, yeah. you know, what's even worse is um, there have been movements around the country over the last few years on various school boards to make the teaching of the Constitution a requirement and you've had people opposing that for one that's bad enough but they're opposing that and they're saying that that that's a partisan issue and it's like no that's a nonpartisan issue we're, we're founded on us yeah yeah exactly well you know here's the thing about it too jim for people that are uneducated and don't know it they would agree with those people that yeah. you know what because they're either stupid and i'm i mean like really stupid and I don't usually use that word, or they don't care enough to go research and find out about the history of the nation. We have so many people that are stuck on their iPads and their computers. I mean, it's like when you go out and ask somebody, you know, you go, go up to a, I don't know, 22 year old and go, who was the first president of the United States? They don't know. Yeah. How yeah. about the second, third? How about like, you ever heard of this guy? Ever heard of Thomas Jefferson? Oh, uh, yeah, I think I heard something. He owns a burger place down in, uh, you know, <laughs> South Louisiana. Yeah. And, and that is sad. And that comes from us not putting these, these very important subjects in class like, like we grew up with so that you understand what the nation was founded on. It's the same thing, Jim, with all the whole statue issue. I'm glad Trump declared those 
a national resource or however you did. Because here's the thing about it. It doesn't matter if it's a good statue or a bad statue. It's our history. And our history is both good and bad. And we need yeah. reminders of where never to go again and everything. So I'm all for keeping all the statues, to be honest with you. They, they, let me tell you what. If the statues were the issue with Black Lives Matter, then why did they just tear down, you know, Frederick Douglass's statue recently? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's not about Who, that. It's not about that at all. And No, it's I, not. I, and you know, yeah, no, it's not. And and listen, I, I'll tell you what concerns me greatly, because um, you and you've seen or studied insurgencies and revolutionary activities around the world. To add to what you just said of what you predict could potentially happen, here's another thing on the from the political end that I predict could happen. See, I, I look at Venezuela. And, and I just see too many parallels between what was the wealthiest country by far. Colombia is a, an extremely wealthy com- country. Venezuela far surpassed them. And it wasn't just because of the oil. I agree. It was because they had a free market economy that was strong. So I, th- this is what I see happening. If you look back at the Mexican Revolution in the late 1920s, and the, the end result of that, was that PRI became a one-party system in that country for 80 years. And uh, it wasn't until the year 2000 that they went away from it, and it was a slow transition for a little less than a decade there. But the way that they did it (laughs) is they set up the laws so that PRI got certain benefits in electoral activity. They allowed other parties to exist, but they got a second-class status. So legally quote-unquote legally, it was, they were unable to overcome PRI until you had a groundswell up from the people in the 1990s. Um, that very same thing could be happening this next election. One, I'm very concerned about mail, mail ballots. What people don't understand is absentee ballots are fine. People go to request it. They have to sign for it, sign an affidavit. It's not a perfect system, but it's a relatively secure one. Just sending stuff out in the mail is not at all uh, secure. So you could have, after, if Biden wins, Congress will ignore the Constitution, which says that, that voting is done in the states, is re- regulated in the states. They'll say, no, we all, we're going to do all mail-in ballots, which they know is to their advantage because of the insecurity of those things. You can see them overturning the Electoral College and going to a national popular vote, which is the one protection we have from, as Madison said in the Federalist Papers, from the vicissitudes of politics. That is why, so all these local political things matter. And if you're not going to be willing to secure those items, uh, those, uh, each of those states having their own say, and they'll just ignore the Constitution and do it. That's the other way in combination with what you're talking about. These are the things that can very easily happen because we can already see. I mean, it's bad enough that re- some Republicans don't pay close enough attention to the Constitution. Democrats don't even care about the Constitution. You're this exactly is what's right. at risk in this election, in my opinion. It's, it's a huge risk, and what you're saying is not only based on experience, but it's based on history as well. And for those people in the United States that don't believe that we could flip and become Venezuela within months, yeah. they're, fools. they're fools. The mail-in ballot thing, it's absolutely not secure. But you got to remember, Democrats wanted illegal aliens to be able to vote. How stupid is that? I mean, seriously? You're not even yeah. American citizens because guess what? America doesn't matter to them. 
Yeah. And that's what people have to understand. The Democratic Party is not the party that it used to be a long time ago. This is literally a socialist party that has globalist influences that wants the United States to lose its sovereignty. They want open borders. They want the world to be able to vote. Why? Because they're part of a group that the world will control every nation that it, that it can get its hand on. And with that comes its resources, like our resources, right? And, yeah. and so people don't understand what it means to lose their freedom. But once you lose America, you'll lose your freedom here in a country. And people have no idea. They've never lived in a socialist country before. They absolutely, they, they will be crying in their foolishness going, why did we even go down that road? Oh my gosh, this isn't, but you promised me. You promised me this and you promised me that. It's like when Joe Biden promises all the free stuff. It's like, who's going to pay for the free stuff? <laughs> who, who, yeah. who pays for the free stuff? You know, it's one of these things that people that are out protesting, they ought to, they ought to stop sending them money. Yeah. And, 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 and another thing is someone is, you know, even though we had the COVID thing and I'm not, I'm not sounding, I'm not going to make this even sound like a conspiracy, but I will tell you this as a former CIA officer, there are very, there's very good intelligence that there are certain things that are being orchestrated right now. And they're taking advantage of this. When you look at the practicality of just the fact that last year we had more people die of the flu than we had of COVID. And now you've got people so scared right now of just this, they, they literally are controlling people to the point of some pretty silly stuff. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I see driving around in their cars with their mask on. Excuse me? Yeah. Like, yeah, COVID, exactly. COVID, COVID, you know, so we're starting to look at that and look at the psychological ramifications of all of that. And there's absolutely and no reason why we should not be at work right now. You know? Yeah. We should That's be, absolutely right. We should be opened up right now. And uh, of course, I'm not up there with the president. So um, he, one thing he doesn't do is he doesn't interfere with different states. But yeah. the people of the country better wake up. They need to get no, and in that way, he's following the Constitution. By the way, because oh, you don't have these federal mandates. Right. I mean, this is this is. Um, tell me this. So I, what I what I've described and what you've described as potential outcomes if Joe Biden gets elected. Okay, let's just lay that on the table. I don't know the time period within which either of those things are going to happen, because I look at uh, Chavez in Venezuela. It took him ten years to completely take control of the country and he took steps along the way. Um, but what changed Venezuela is when Chavez was elected the first time period. Right. That's when it right. began. And it was a lot, kind of the slow pot boiling <laughs> with the frog in it thing yeah. beginning at that point. And this is hard. This is why these insurgency efforts, which I, I believe the Democrat Party in its leadership, I'm not saying all Democrat voters, but the Democrat Party and its elected officials and its leadership is by and large an insurgency party against the Constitution. JFK could never get the nomination. If, he, if you could pluck him out of the 1960s and plop him right into this day and age, he could not get the nomination in today's Democrat Party because he was a patriot. Right. I didn't agree with him on everything, but he actually had the country's best interests in mind. He believed in the Constitution, and he just had a different perspective than Republicans did on it, but it wasn't a radical, radically different perspective. This party is not in the least 
for the American Constitution and the American way of life in the same way that Hugo Chavez was that way, uh, in the same way that Daniel Noriega, uh, you know, was when it came to Nicaragua. And we can just name them all. This is a very real problem that, that we have to understand not just for the sake of this election and obvious, obviously for that, but so we can understand the dynamic of where we are in this country right now. There are a group of people who are truly insurgents to our constitutional liberties. You're exactly right. Exactly right. And all this stuff that you're seeing with the, the stuff in Portland and Chicago and all of that stuff, it's all just, it's all distractions and disruptions to either affect the outcome of the election or to break the economy so that the president who's had a really good track record with the economy looks really bad. You know, he, they want to be able to point the finger no matter whether he's right or wrong. That's it. They want to go after him. They just want him out because I believe he's actually, I think he's a threat to, to a lot of things, a threat to the democratic, the socialist, their way of life. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it was interesting what you said, Jim, about the the, the boiling frog yeah. <laughs> scenario. It is. I, I I think if the Democrats get in office, look, Joe Biden is not going to be able to get past the first two years. He's he's so incompetent. That leaves Harris in place, and that leaves other people driving the party and and driving their agenda. Which again, I I go back to this. It's a globalist. It's a globalist process, but you know what? It is an insurgency. Yeah. I mean, I dealt with insurgencies. It smells like it. It looks like it. That's exactly what it is. But sadly in our country, we have more sheep than we do shepherds. And we have more people that would want to just live off the government and welfare um, instead of secure their freedoms, you know, mostly because again, a lot of the new and upper coming generations they don't know anything about the country. They don't, they don't realize that they're alive today because people sacrificed their lives to defend the country so that they could be here today against people who wanted to destroy the United States. But this one, this one never before in the United States have I seen it so bold, so blatant, and so well orchestrated with entities outside the United States to the point that the Democratic Party doesn't even care if they say, we hate the constitution. We want a social system. I mean, they're just, that's pretty much what they're saying. They've tried to hide behind it. You know, let's, let's sort of like not say in God we trust anymore, but it's, it's so in your face right now. And guess what? We've allowed them to get away with it. The question is, when is enough enough? When do we stop? When do you not, let me use this term, it's, this is a made-up term. When do you not de-elect a Democratic mayor and simply go grab them and yank them out of their house and say, you're not allowed in the office anymore because you're not the mayor. We're putting somebody back in that's going to stop all this crap that's happening in our city. When do we do that? When does someone actually go yank Nancy Pelosi off the stage and say, <laughs> you're not doing this anymore? You know. Now, the reason I say that jokingly is to say this. The Democratic Party needs to be very aware because the very dragon that they intend to unleash is going to come back and eat them. Because if you have civil war in this country, and I'm saying if, you have close to 30 million veterans here in this country that are armed, 
will never let their arms be taken. And they will not only engage with the same tenacity that they had in Iraq, Afghanistan, Angola, Iran, Contra, and the list goes on and on and on. Even yeah. the old guys back during yeah. Vietnam, they will not only engage in civil war, but they will personally, and hear my words, they will personally come after every single person they believe is responsible for destroying the Constitution in the United States. And that includes people like Democrats all over the nation and Republicans that are not for the nation. There will be no discretion. And that, because there will not be rule of law. There will be no rule of law because you've defunded the police. You've cut down the FBI's resources and you cannot keep up with everybody in a civil war because I have been in one civil war after another. It is so disruptive, but that's the word to those people now that are creating the dragon. Trust me, you will become the target and there will be nowhere you can hide because these guys are good. <laughs> we served with them. Well, the, yeah, exactly. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I feel really bad that we've been in so many wars since the Bush administration. I think some, yeah. some of these, I mean, we're, it, it just Afghanistan right after 9-11 when they could confirm the Taliban was there and deal with that situation for a short period, great. We, we got kids going over there right now who weren't even born when we started right. that war. Um, right. Iraq, Iraq, I'm not so certain about. I'm, 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 not, I'm not a pacifist. I, I think we need to have a strong stand I just think that we get ourselves into things sometimes that are way over the top. But that having been said, we got tens of thousands of these guys who were not only trained by being in the military, but they saw the action. They know what an insurgency looks like. They know how to, they have to respond to that. They know the risks and the upsides of all of that. And if it ever did get to this place that you're describing, which I agree with you, it's not like it's not imminent. But it's definitely out there as, as one pot. It's like playing chess. You always plan yeah. five moves ahead. Um, this, it's out there. There's another side of this that I don't think these people are really thinking about, and it's the whole useful idiot strategy. Because if, that, what, if this communist-style, socialist-style state that they say that they want, that AOC pushes for, ever truly came about in a Chavista kind of way, Right. Well, they're the ones that are going down now. The ones that gain the power are going to shut them out. That's the beauty of who we are as a country, is that it was always about the liberty of the individual. <laughs> we created a constitution that was created by the people and not by the politicians or the government. And, yeah. and if we can ever reassert those rights, and I, it still exists in pockets, and there are lots of people who understand it and care about it, if we could ever get back to that, the beauty in this country – would be great. But that's, that's the other side of this. They don't understand that they're kind of the useful idiots at this point. And uh, they can go down that way just as much as the other way that you described, if we ever got to that. I would hope that we don't get there. I would hate to see that. And I'm just speaking from experience of how I've watched civil wars unfold. Yeah. No rule of law. And um, and I hear the rumblings out there in the conversation. You know, there's militias popping up all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the American way. You know, it's what it is. <clears throat> but we have a lot of powerful people that believe they're untouchables. Yeah. They're up there because I'm a senator. I'm a congressman. I'm a mayor. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm the, the, the governor. I'm the whatever it is. And, and 
they've never really been outside the four walls of their apartment world, so to speak. They've never been downrange, not all of them. They don't know. Um, they have absolutely no idea. And they think that they will be protected. Well, hey, look at South America. Look again, to your point, look at Venezuela. Look at what's going on down there. I mean, you know, there's gnarly stuff. We don't hear about it in the media. There's assassinations. There's war. There's civil strife. There's hunger. And, you know, you get that here in the nation. People are in America. <clears throat> people aren't going to, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to abide by rules and regulations because you defunded the police. I mean, look at what we have happening up in Portland. The police basically standing by and not doing anything. And I don't know if they were doing that because they were hoping the good guys win or, or what was going on, but those little things that what concerns me and I've seen in the past is uh, the escalation factor. And once it gets rolling, yeah, you can't, you won't be able to stop it. You know, um, <clears throat> I'm not sure why president, well, I do know why president Trump, obviously he's he's offered to bring in national guard on multiple levels. And mostly it's been Republican States that have accepted it. Um, but, uh, the Democratic mayors and governors have not. And here, here's what's so funny about this. And, uh, and I think you and I mentioned this before we started up. I hate to say it, but in cities like Portland, Chicago, wherever it's happening, all these disruptions, you get what you deserve. And I'm saying that to the people. If you're not gonna come out of your houses and defend your neighborhood against these thugs, Antifa, BLM, whoever it is, then you deserve to get your house burned down. That's it because you're not fighting for your family, you're not fighting for your country, and you're not even fighting for your neighborhood, okay? And think about this, even if you don't have the balls to get out there and fight for and defend your life and that of your family, let's just talk about it on something that maybe does affect you that you're concerned about, and that's your pocketbook, the economy. Who do you think those mayors and those governors are gonna raise taxes on to rebuild your city after it's been burned down? You think yeah. the federal government's gonna give you that money? No. They're going to tax you out the gazoo and you're going to pay for the damage to your own property that you worked so hard for or your own city if you want it to be a nice place again. That should make you furious. That should be enough for you to go and remove those governors and those mayors out of office right now, reinstate the police, put this stuff under control because I'll tell you what, once it's been destroyed, it's a hard thing to rebuild. It really is. I, I want to, and I think we need to really have, as you talked about earlier, a resurgence of an understanding of leadership in this country. I, I want to shift to some of that and also kind of my whole philosophy behind this against nice thing. But I want to cap it off by saying, asking you this quick question, quick response. In your years of dealing in the CIA with some of these things happening in other countries, for someone like me that has no experience in that at all, I can only read novels and watch what someone says on television. You know, I'm never in the inside of that. Am I wrong for making some these connections with, uh, with what I see and hear about in what goes on in these countries and what I think could happen here in the United States based upon what's happening right now? Am I way overboard and being concerned that some similar things could take place here in this country, even as strong as we are? Nope, you're right on target. I, I just, uh, that's my big concern. So there's, but now, now we got, we, we, we've set up the problem. Now we got to get to the answer. 
let's start with leadership because you referred to it earlier. So uh, when I was, well, two things. I, politics is war by other means. So I've done politics all my life. I've been strongly involved with this. I've taken <laughs> George S. Patton to heart. No bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country, okay? That attitude in politics, and again, it's war by other means. We're not killing people, obviously. I mean, the, it, what you described are political things, but we're not there yet, so that's down the road a little bit. So um, we've got to be this serious about it. In other words, my whole goal is to make people on the left pay politically for the stands that they take by making it clear what they stand for and by taking that idea out. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. Another aspect of leadership. So I worked for Focus on the Family for a few years. Board member there named Bob Beal had a great definition of leadership. And he was a guy who uh, consulted pro, not for-profit and not-for-profit businesses <clears throat> all the time on how to run well. He said this, leadership is knowing what to do next, knowing why that's important, and knowing how to bring appropriate resources to bear on the problem at hand, mm. knowing what, knowing what is next, knowing why that's important, knowing how to bring appropriate resources on the problem at hand. So anyway, you, you to have awareness, where are we at right now? To know when things are changing and when you see what is changing, how does that fit in context to what's going on? What's its importance? Is it not important? Is it important? That's knowing why it's important. And then knowing how to bring appropriate resources to bear on the problem at hand. You know, we need people to be skilled in this kind of leadership. I think, again, even with all the faults that people want to bring out, I think that Donald Trump has a good sense of that kind of leadership in what he's doing. And, um, and you could disagree with the policy here or there, but knowing what our situation, having situational awareness right now, he's got it in spades, I think. And, and he's paying the price for it every single day and still standing firm. This Republican convention, which we're recording this uh, in the week of the Republican convention, is, is a kind of a masterstroke compared to what the Democrats did the week before because mm -hmm. it's telling the actual stories that are out there. Yeah. It's, expo it's him showing up every single day now for this thing rather than waiting until the last day like everyone always did it. It's knowing that that's important because people have to understand how he's going to come in in his leadership. You consult on leadership all the time. What are the things, you can comment on, on the Trump thing, but what are the things that you really see that people individually right now need to be doing to build leadership in their lives to, to react to all this? I think number one is never compromise good leadership and your morals. I think, look, I, I'm, uh, I think we're, the nation needs to have, get their faith back in God, to be honest with you because that's the ultimate leader and that's who yep. we got to follow. You know, all men are created equal in the eyes of God. That puts us on the even playing field, you know, uh, that's one. Number two, I think that you should never compromise as a leader. If you know what the moral code is, never compromise. Do not be concerned about your money, your position, whatever, because once you compromise, it's very difficult to live with yourself as long as you're still on this earth. Um, Another big thing, as far as leadership is concerned, and I teach, teach this on leadership, not to be safe, but to be brave. I was just on the phone last week with a very high-ranking official in Washington, D.C. She's 
the best of the best. In fact, she's a friend of Dennis's. You probably know who I'm talking about. I think and so. I asked her, and I asked her, I said, what's the problem with leadership up there in the parties when, when we know this should be done? All across the board, Republicans, Senate, the House, DOJ, uh, FBI, CIA, all this kind of stuff. And she said, people are scared. And I said, they're scared. She goes, yeah. Basically, she was saying they're a bunch of little chickens because you know what? They've been in the House or in the Senate for like 30 years or whatever it may be, and they like their job. Or they're concerned that if they stand up for the American flag, someone's going to make fun of them and go, what kind of person are you? Or if they go up against a, a Marxist organization like BLM, well, it's not the narrative that everybody is looking at, you know. Or why don't you go after these companies that are dumping millions of dollars in the BLM and Antifa to disrupt the country? Why aren't we arresting their CEOs for treason? You know, and her comment was, they're scared. Well, if you want to be a leader, you can't be scared. That's right. You got to be brave. And if you're going to be an American leader, then stand on the Constitution. Love the flag. Remember, we the people. And to be a great leader, you have to be a great servant of the people. You have to put the people first. What is going to be best? I, to comment on Donald Trump, I believe with all my heart that's what he does. Now, yeah. I haven't sat with the president. Maybe one day I will. But I have sat with people around the president. And everything they have conveyed to me tells me that he's the people's president. In the yeah. truest sense of the word from the Constitution, despite the fact that you might not like what he wears every day or whatever it may be. But that uh, I think that he exudes bravery. Look, <laughs> it's very obvious. He doesn't give a rat's ass what the Democrats say. He doesn't yeah. care what Putin says. He doesn't care what, you know, the Chinese say. You know, he just says it like a good American. And in fact, you know, if he were a little shorter, he might be like Theodore Roosevelt, you know, reincarnated or something. You know, he just, right. he just says what needs to be said. And, and he's... I believe for whatever reason, God has given him the intestinal fortitude to stand there in the face of so much adversity um, that we see all the time. And just, man, it's like his armor is just there and, you know, things are just bouncing off right and left. You know, when he came out and called fake media, fake news, fake news, oh, everybody was appalled. Well, guess what? He was right. Yeah. It is fake news. It is manipulated. You know, one thing about it is he knows who the inside players are, and he does a great job of conveying that to us as Americans to the point that we are much better off now by understanding who those rotten players really are. So when it comes to leadership, there are very few great leaders around in the world. Um, now, look, we're not talking dictators. We're talking leaders. We're talking about good, strong patriots. And the great thing I like about the president is, if you recall, when he – was running, he wasn't a Republican and he wasn't a Democrat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what was, what was he? He was, he was pretty he, much a Patriot. Yeah. He yeah. did the reform party for a little bit, but yeah, he was, he was just really, even the reform party at uh, time. It's just like, no, 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 I'm just me. And this is what I think of America. It's it. I, I by the way, another problem in Washington DC and cause I, I haven't, I haven't been around the president either. I think I know the person you're talking about who's close to the president. And I think that if I'm right about that, but anyway, I, I, I get the stories like you've gotten a few of those stories. Yeah. And I got to tell you, he, what I think you describe about him is very real. Did this, so I, I, my podcast, I have, uh, 
I'm, what I'm saying with against nice is not to be an a-hole particularly, right. but not to be afraid to be perceived as one. So um, I was sitting down with, um, with uh, uh, Andrew Breitbart some years back. He was doing a, I, I was organizing in Denver a rally against what was going on with the Obama administration or something. He came to do it. We're talking. And we became fairly close. Some of my other friends are really close to him. But um, we were talking, and he says, you know, I um, – and he subsequently said the same thing in an interview with David Brody of CBN some years later. He says, listen, I, uh, I, I love Christians, but I, and I feel like i got to be a defender for Christians. But he, he's a proclaimed, self-proclaimed agnostic at the time. Right. And I, but I feel like I need to be their defenders because they're just way too nice. They just won't do it. And I got, it got me that, that, that conversation sparked something in me. And I realized that there is no biblical command to be nice. There is a biblical command to be kind. Micah 6, 8, he's shown you a man what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What's interesting is the first two characteristics require courage in this world. The third characteristic requires you to remember that you are in this world and you are finite. <laughs> and so, so leadership is a combination of courage and strength and humility all in one. One of the things that I see in Washington, D.C., amongst Republicans in particular, having spent so much time up there as a chief of staff for a couple of different guys, um, and I either know or am acquainted with most Republican congressmen. And the one thing that bothers me that's far too consistent with these guys is they're also, just to add to what you said, they're also worried about their paycheck. You know, you, you throw everything away. Unless you're independently wealthy, you throw everything away to do that job. It's $174,000 a year. Yeah. To lose that, you've got to recreate all of it. By the way, I, I mean, I know what that feels like. I had to do the same thing being a chief of staff. You know, I wasn't going to be a chief of staff up there all my life. I, I made uh, uh, just a little bit under what these guys make. Okay, it's, I'm only saying that because it's public record. Anyone can search it if they want to. But, but the reality, then when, when I knew I was going to leave, I mean, I knew going in I was going to leave that. And that's the scary thing. But I didn't matter because I worked for two good guys, Thomas Massey and Tim Hillscamp, people that were willing to go in and fight. They were making the same risk too. They, they, now, Thomas has a lot more walkaway power than Tim did, but they were, that didn't matter to them. We need more people that have that kind of courage. So, against nice, um, Micah 6.8 says to love kindness. What is kindness? It's very interesting. Niceness is subjectively what feels good to me, that you please me in some way, something pleasing or acceptable to me. Kindness looks out to the needs of others and wants the best for them. And it usually is a very gentle thing with folks. But when it comes to truth, it's always tough. And so I say it this way. No parent who would not discipline their child would be considered very kind. And no child being disciplined thinks it's very nice. That's yeah. kind of the dynamic we got here. We need more of that kind of determination. Jesus called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. But he, but in, in the same spirit, he's not different with other people. That same characteristic of meekness that he had that would cause him to cause, call the Pharisees a brood of vipers also caused him to never treat poorly a broken reed, as the Bible says. Very gentle with those people who were harmed by life. 
We need to rebuild this. I'm concerned that the church in this country, that people of goodwill, uh, whether they're Jews or right-thinking Muslims even, uh, whoever people or Hindus that live in this country who are of, of goodwill, who come from that good perspective, they need to have this kind of courage. And particularly the Christian church in this country, I think is really, really lost right now and aren't the type that come and defend their home like you're talking about. They're not the type that would go and counter this stuff with something good, whether it's a good deed or a, a calling them out in the streets, just like they're trying to call everyone else out in the streets. This is what we lack in this country and we need to revive. And I think understanding leadership is the biggest part of it. Do you think there's any hope for that? You're out speaking to people in churches and other places. Do you see that as an impossibility right now? There is. Are you you're familiar with uh, you? Are you familiar with the renewal projects like the California yes. renewal project? I don't even yep. know if we had a Colorado renewal project, but uh, we did. We did. I ran the marriage amendment in 2006 here, and the Colorado renewal project was helping with some of those things. So yeah. So uh, I, Dennis invited me to that. It's one of the best gatherings I had ever seen in the nation. People that are of faith that can take you all the way back to the founding of the country and show you and prove to you how this country was founded on its faith, on its biblical principles, by pastoral congregation, pastoral settings and congregations. And so we have taken a nation and we have, we have driven it from its founding, its foundation of uh, righteousness, so to speak, and spirituality to a nation of politics. Our politics have become the God so to speak, or, and that's not the way it was designed. This nation was founded on those biblical principles, one nation under God. And we've drifted from that. And this is one of the reasons why we're having so many problems because even up in Washington, you know, this, we, we have people that get jobs up there. They don't know everything about the founding of the nation. They, they couldn't, they, could, they don't even know enough about the constitution. I you saw know? hundreds of them. I worked around them. You're They're absolutely right. right. They just want a job. They just want to say, I worked on the hill, whatever it may be. So um, I think 100%, I'm, I'm, I agree with you 100% in that the churches, churches, the bodies of believers, particularly of the Christian faith, the Judeo-Christian faith that founded this country. I don't care. Remember, this is silly. Remember when Obama said Muslims have been doing this since the beginning of the American Revolution and like tried to make people actually believe that this was a Muslim nation. Yeah, yeah, not, exactly. It's not, it's not the case, you know. Not in the least. It's not the least. It's a Judeo-Christian nation. That's where we are. That's our founding fathers. If you don't like it, get out. Go someplace else. Go to Dubai. Uh, go to Zimbabwe. Go wherever you want to go. Go to India. Or, but that's what we are. That's our, our constitution. And we're not going to rewrite it. We're going to protect it. We're going to defend it. But the churches have believed that, that they are separate from the Constitution. Now, follow me here. Not even a lot of our churches understand how the nation was founded. They don't preach it. They don't teach it. They don't teach about the, the, the faith of our founding fathers. Um, and so they believe that that's politics and we're religion. So we're going to stay over here and we're going to pray for the nation, but we're never going to get out and vote. We don't have to because yeah. God's going to do this great miracle and, and they're just going to automatically be in our favor. You know, it's like the, it's like the faith-based community that believe like, you know, it's okay for me to go preach the gospel in some foreign nation. And if I die there, then I'm a martyr. 
No, 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 no. There's a difference between being murdered and being a martyr. Murdered is when, like, you chose not to leave and take your tribe with you so you could come back after the terrorists burned down your village and keep your, your Bible program going. Martyred is you did everything you could to escape, like the disciples and like Jesus said, and then you couldn't get out and your hand, you know, your faith, I mean, your, your outcome is yeah. in God's hands. Big difference. Yeah. Well, for the Christians here, true believers, um, they've got to stop being hands off. You have to get involved. We need more faith-based leaders in the political realm, in the leadership realm, as mayors, as governors, as city council, because guess what? Everybody else that doesn't love God and doesn't believe in God and doesn't believe in the Constitution is taken over. We had something happen recently down Fort Collins way um, when Antifa and BLM ended up there. And I got the intel back that two or three of the city council members were not only atheists, but they're also communists. They're socialists. They have a socialist platform. They got elected to the city council in, I don't know if it's Aurora, if it's Fort Collins, I don't remember what it was. I think I thought it was Aurora. Anyway, Somebody sent me the names and goes, here's their background. Here's what they believe in. And it's like, well, no wonder they're supporting all the destruction that's going on down there. So yeah. the churches yeah. have got to get involved. They've got to, they've got to step up to the plate. And, you know, and, and let me just add this to it. And this is going to seem strange to a lot of Christians who, um, well, it's just going to seem strange to them, but you know what? Stop complaining about how bad the culture is and always calling it. I mean, there's, there's a degree of that. I'm not saying we, I'm not talking about letting that slip when there's real immorality going on, but stop right. complaining about that and provide the alternative. That's the biggest problem. We, you know, Justin Martyr, the famous uh, early church father from the second century uh, was actually in all honesty, able to write uh, that um, he was able to write to Antonius Pius, the then emperor of Rome, hey, look at what we do. We don't break the laws. We save all those babies that people abort out in the woods or throw out into the woods. Uh, we, we honor uh, you. We pay our taxes. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, we, we are faithful in our marriages, and we grow strong family. He could make all these arguments, and right. he couldn't be refuted. If he tried to make that argument about people who call themselves Christians right now, he could be easily refuted. And this is the biggest problem that's happening there. You got to provide the alternative, not the antagonistic uh, push against. If you're going to do that, you better have your ducks in a row <laughs> and, and you need to do it in kindness. Again, it's not a kindness is as I describe it is not about beating people down. It's about looking to their good. So I, I may not uh, like the family where the parents didn't get married. I, and that is not a very good thing, frankly, in any society. doesn't make me want to beat them up and ostracize them. It's like provide the better example, show, <laughs> help. And this lacks so much in our country. I think your perspective of what you've gone through in your career, uh, military career and CIA career, is, is a hugely important perspective for people to understand because you have that understanding of how things can go so wrong, how they can be so bad. And it's a great contrast to the beauty of our Constitution and the liberties and freedoms that we've been able 
to enjoy here. And I, I, I think that that's incredibly helpful. By the way, and I, I, wanna, I don't want to leave this uh, podcast without getting into it a little bit. Sure. And then we'll maybe talk about it in more detail. But to that end, I, your experience led you to starting the Association for the Recovery of Children. It's kind of a microcosm of what I'm talking about here. Uh, the, a real severe circumstance that needed an answer. What inspired you to do this? Because you're out saving young kids all over the world, uh, putting to, using your background and skills and capabilities to go find children that have been stolen in many cases and a lot of other situations. And you were right in the middle of doing your CIA work. What inspired you to do this? And, and tell us a little bit about that organization and what you're accomplishing. I can't. Thank you. Well, first of all, you know, most people in the CIA, at least in special operations, paramilitary groups are, are very big patriots. They love the country. They love the constitution. And it is, and it is, is that constitution that has driven us to continue to secure and protect the freedom of the United States at the risk of our own lives. I mean, in some of the darkest, deepest areas. So that's a motivation there. Number two, in special operations and out of my own family, I was always raised to do the right thing. Now, a lot of people will go, well, uh, we don't really know what the right thing is. That's bull doo-doo, okay? We do know <laughs> what the right thing is. I'm yeah. very black and white about that. I know the difference between good and evil. You may not, because you may not have the experience or you may not have the wisdom, but I do. I understand the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. I understand that murder is wrong. I understand that defending your country is the right thing to do. So in addition to that, and that's two things. And then the third thing is God created all of these children around the world. Okay. He created all of us. And I got to the point that after I understood uh, how many children were missing, sexually exploited, whatever it, it may be, child trafficking, that if we did not, who would? That's it. And I've never been, I was never raised, and I don't know of any Marines that come up through the ranks of the Corps that just stand by and let things happen. People get mm -hmm. involved. So in 1993, and many people know the story in Mogadishu, Somalia during the Civil War there, uh, a group of us rescued some children, and um, they were uh, not... They weren't from, they were born in there in that area, but their father was from another place, I think Italy. And it looked like he had basically abandoned them during the war, probably had a family back in Italy and, and that family there. But when I got back to the United States, I just started wondering how many children were actually missing. And the more I found out from the FBI and local law enforcement, state, federal, um, it really wasn't a priority. And at that time in 1993, the word trafficking wasn't even people didn't know about it. They, they weren't even talking about it. It was just known as child exploitation. But I was curious as to what was being done and why things weren't being done. And there were jurisdictional issues, communication issues, and the list goes on and on. And I realized that as an American, I didn't have to be a law enforcement officer. As an American, there was nothing stopping me from going out and finding missing and exploited American children. And so, um, we started the organization, and uh, we're probably one of the oldest child find organizations. When all local, state, and federal law enforcement issues, I mean, have been, I mean, the local, state, and federal law enforcement efforts have been exhausted, we get involved. Or if it's too dangerous in another country, and 
the bureaucracy is never going to send anybody. We go mm -hmm. and we do all yeah. of this. It's free of service. We're all volunteers. But last year, just to give you an example, 491, 491,000 and something American children missing in the United States last year, 2019. 491,000 plus, okay? That's, so, that's, that's, that's not even easy to comprehend. It's such right. a huge number. It is. And if we, as, if we uh, call ourselves Americans really cared, and I'm including all the people that are out there protesting, all that, if we really cared about something, they'd stop that nonsense and they'd go out and rescue these kids. You know, I hear the whole BLM thing, tank scenario and Antifa about slavery. They don't know anything about slavery. Look, I have black American friends. They're brothers and sisters of mine. They're not African Americans. They weren't born in Africa. They're black Americans, white Americans, green Americans, yellow Americans, whatever they are. And they, they won't even go near BLM because they know it's a Marxist organization and that's not the issue. I had a buddy of mine, he looked at me, he's a black American, love the guy, served with him in the military and in special operations. And he looked at me and he goes, he goes, boss, he goes, you ever owned a slave? I went, nope. He goes, and I've never picked cotton. <laughs> yeah, and he was right and what he was saying was this is this is silliness and they're just stoking the fire because that's not what the issue really is here because we know look there if you want to talk about racism there may be racism from here to here but it's on all sides brother it's yeah. all over the place okay <clears throat> so let's throw that out the window and stop living like victims because i'm going to tell you something we got it pretty good here in America. I don't care what color you are. You don't like it? Go live in Africa. See if you really like it there. You want to go back to your people? They're not your people. A white American, I think it's better in Europe. Let me go back to the UK and just like, because I don't like America. No, I don't want to live in the UK. I was born here. This is my country. And I'm grateful that for whatever God did to get me born here, that's where I am because I come from an immigrant family. So... Yeah. We realized that there were a lot of children missing and, and that that's where slavery is. When I hear people protesting about their, their victimization and, and their slavery, it infuriates me. They don't even know what slavery is. These 491,000 children, that's not even including the adults that are being trafficked. They're slaves. They're beaten. They're burned with cigarettes. They're molested 20 plus times a day. They're held in cages and closets and basements and trunks of cars. They're beaten, they're drugged. That's slavery. But you don't see those people out there doing anything about this problem. Why? Because it's not, because it doesn't, they don't care. This is about them. This is about something else. Because if it was really about slavery, they'd be involved in doing what we're doing, and that is getting people out of it. So 491,000 plus children missing. We're doing the very best we can to find them. Um, and we're up against a lot, of, a lot of roadblocks from time to time, financial roadblocks, because uh, it, takes, it takes money to get a team to go from point A right. to point B to rescue kids. Right. But we're also up against roadblocks in the Senate, in the House, believe it or not. We kind of go back to politics of people that are supporting now that pedophilia is not a crime. It's a gender-related issue, and you're born mm. that way. And I'm going to tell you why they're pushing that narrative. They're pushing it because, and I know this for a fact, and the FBI knows it for a fact, and other people know it for a fact, there are members of the House and the Senate that are pedophiles. And they know that if they ever get caught, 
As long as the law says this is a crime, they're going to go to jail. But if they can get it to be a point where it's a gender-related issue, like the LGBT is pushing it as well, then if it happens, they won't go to jail. They just have to go to a doctor. But in the meantime, they can get out there and rape every three-year-old little boy and every three-year-old little girl that they want to and have their fun with it because society will go, oh, it's normal. Why is it normal? Because this psychologist that's recognized by the Senate and Congress is, uh, says it's normal and we should just like the LGP saying it's like, it's normal. Oh, we support the LGBT, QYXYZ, whatever they're calling themselves now. <laughs> and this, they're saying this is normal, so we have to accept it. Sooner or later, you have to get to the point where you don't accept perversion and evil. And we're at that breaking point right now. Look, I have people I know and they're gay. They don't support the LGBTXYZ any longer. That's okay? right. And we need more people that don't support that if they're gay to stand up and say, no, I'm not part of that organization anymore because now they're leaning into perversion. Now they're, they're saying it's okay to molest little children. That's where they're going with that. Oh, they believe this and this. We've got to get those people to stand up too. So anyway, in the meantime, while all that's going on, we're going to continue the fight, Jim. And we're going to continue to go rescue one child at a time if we have to train NGOs, equip NGOs so that they can do the same thing. A little bit long. And, and by so, the way, you're talking about 491,000 people here in the United States. You, you didn't mention possibly a similar number of that kind of trafficking coming up from Mexico as well, too. No, it's beyond. Fashion. Yeah. Globally, globally would blow your mind. Last year, I believe the stat is still correct. It was $26 billion profit in child pornography in the United States. Jim, $26 billion on child pornography. Let me ask you this question. Where are all those children being held when they're filmed and molested on camera? How are they being transported around the United States? When I have conversations with business executives for national security, whoever it may be, or all the people I talk to, I go, look, even if you don't care about the fact that children are being brutally enslaved and tortured or whatever it is, we have a national security issue here as well. If I can transport children all over the United States undefected, what else can I transport in the United States undetected? Yeah. Can I transport yeah. nuclear weapons? Can I transport guns and drugs and money laundering? What else can I? So we have a bigger issue here you know, when it comes to just that. But, and then all of a sudden the national security people or the IRS go, Oh, that's of interest to us, you know? So, you know, you know, well, yeah, we got a problem here. You're right. You have a problem. We do. You know, and at the end of the day, there's a lot we need to do politically and otherwise to address a lot of these issues. But honestly, at the end of the day, we need a third great awakening in this country. I mean, we really need a cultural transformation. I hope that leads to a lot of people coming to a personal relationship with Christ. And that's my number one priority. But even bigger than that, we need, as we have had in this country in the past, a cultural reset, a re-understanding of the things that matter. We're fighting these political battles, and I've been in the middle of that for a long, long period of time. I'm as frustrated in some ways <laughs> with having done the political battles all those years as you've got to be having done the real battles uh, clandestinely all those years. I mean, it's in both of our cases, important work 
stuff sure. that's got to be done. Someone's got to be willing to do it. But my gosh, when you really take a moment <laughs> and think about each of these situations, you're like, gosh, what is this crap? And, um, but the only way beyond this kind of stuff and to deal with this, because you can never get to all of it with a law, with a police force or right. anything. You can never get to it with any of those things. You got to get to it through the heart. You've got to get to it where there's, there's an appropriate kind of shame in culture for these bad things. Not the kind of shame where I just make you feel bad because I'm a, a ninny who wants to dig into your life. But where we just all understand this is, this, there's, this is not right. We notice the problems before they happen. And then especially if they do happen, we, we need a radical transformation of our culture in this country. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Jim, one of the things that I've noticed this through experience, believe it or not, that helps create that situation, that change. God creates that change in the heart, but he requires us to institute accountability. And we don't hold people accountable to the furthest degree of the law any longer in this country. Someone, I've seen cases where I saw, we have a case where a four-year-old girl was molested in a garage the guy literally got 30 days and then he was out only for us to find out later that the judge himself knew the guy and that, you know, it's a possibility they were both pedophiles or we see someone rape a, a 14 year old boy or girl, whatever it may be. They get seven years, but they're out in four. I mean, the laws are not stiff enough here. We don't hold people accountable. And then it's just like, the protest. We don't hold people accountable there. And so they take, get in, you give them an inch, they take a mile and they keep going and keep going. And evil is that way. Evil, evil, if left unharnessed, will consume everything that we know is good in the world to some degree. I'd love to say that good will always rule over evil. Eventually it does. But mm -hmm. in the meantime, Man, I'll tell you what, a lot of darkness keeps making the light look smaller and smaller and smaller. And God is actually, it will come to the point where literally the only salvation that the world will have, as it has always been, is going to be God. It's going to be Jesus Christ. You know, That's right. magnificent, holy, omnipotent power. And that has to stir the hearts of men and miracles start have to start happening. Because there is, as we said when we first started talking about this, I've noticed this on a spiritual level. There is an evil that has permeated the earth. It is as if it's an its own ozone layer. And people think it's cool to kill, to murder, to steal, to rape, to burn, to destroy. They're just like, you know, it's senseless. But it's it's increasing, it's escalating. And it's escalating because people are allowing it to escalate. They're not yeah. putting a stop to it because they're poor leaders, which kind of takes us full circle to what we were talking about earlier. No, I agree. By the way, for those uh, of Christian faith that are listening, this is my problem with the seeker-friendly church. <laughs> because <laughs> be, not that you shouldn't be friendly or whatever, but, but that, that whole paradigm is so wrong. Again, you should be very kind and thoughtful of others. I mean, we should express that as individuals. But when your whole focus is just, to draw people in without any <laughs> con any way to contrast all that you were just talking about yeah. with what is really good and true and capable of being carried out in this life. 
you, you get a group of people who call themselves Christians and who are not willing to confront the things that you're talking about directly. It right. takes courage. It takes thought and energy. It takes planning in many cases. And uh, if we don't get back to that sort of thing in this country, which we had an abundance from our founding. Again, not perfect. You had your problems. But we had a culture that, whether they called themselves Christians or not, really believed in truth. The biggest judgments proclaimed in the Old Testament uh, were, one, we're always against Israel, <laughs> almost entirely. There, there were a few of them that were against other countries, but that's a very limited scope. The biggest judgments were against Israel, and one of the top, maybe top three types of judgments were that justice wasn't being done. You read the book of Amos, it was all about injustice in Israel. And you see this throughout the Old Testament, through the prophets and, uh, and through the writings. And uh, we lack justice in this country. We, we are severely lacking justice, not just in the area that you talked about, but just in the higher courts related to constitutional issues. You know, we, it, it, and that only change, that doesn't change by itself, as you said. Goodness doesn't just naturally prevail. It must be asserted, and, and, we, and we do that through academic means. We do that through you know, talking to people in society. We do it at the election box. We do it everywhere, and we have to do it firmly, and we have to call out evil for what it is. We're not calling things out that are evil that we don't like, but we have to know that they are and then call them out as they are. The church plays a, a potentially key factor if they would only be willing to do it. This is, this is really the foundation of, of what our problem is, and it's as simple and as difficult as doing that very thing, it seems to me. You're great. You know, it's interesting. One of the things as you and I sit here and talk, if you and I were to be able to say, look, you know, Jim and I have a solution for the churches, and here's what we're going to, we're going to give you what you're lacking, and that's strategy. Because most of the times we tell people what we need to do. It's like, it's like when the church, the pastor goes, I want you guys to pray. Okay, so there are some people in the congregation that actually know how to pray, but everybody else is lost because guess what? They don't know how to pray. What did the disciples say to Jesus? Lord, teach us how to pray, right? That's right. Okay, That's so it's right. called the how-tos. And I will tell you, there's one very simple strategy that I always like to convey to churches, particularly mega churches. okay? Let's look at who you are. You're a church, somewhat conservative. You love, love the Lord. You know what's right and wrong. You know the Constitution. You know the founding fathers. And you're a mega church and you have 40,000 members, okay? Now, every summer, you have enough buses to take those 40,000 members to summer camp, or a third of them to summer camp, or whatever it may be, and you take them on this retreat, or whatever it is. Okay, let's now talk strategy. You take your 40,000 believers, you put them in those buses, you put them in their cars, and you all roll up on the Capitol, and you go into the Senate, or you go into the governor's office and you demand to speak to him. So you say, this is the issue. You will teach this. You will teach about the Constitution in our schools, or we will be here every single day, all 40,000 of us, okay? Now look, if Antifa and BLM, who are destroying stuff, can show up, then why can't a megachurch show up? Because we know the psychology behind the strategy. When you have large numbers showing up and and I, peacefully, I'm talking about peacefully, and, but they're interrupting the day because they're out there, they get noticed. It's kind of the squeaky wheel thing, right? 
Well, we've got churches all over the nation that could do that. Small town USA, you've got a congregation of 50 people. Put them on the bus and go down to the city hall and show up at the city hall and demand that justice be served and keep showing up every day. What's it going to cost you? A little bit of fuel in the bus? People will do it. But what we don't teach in the churches is we don't teach them the strategies, the how-tos. How do I get my voice there? Kind of like Dennis Stevens talked about, you know, with me, it's like, why can't you put ballot boxes in the churches? Of course you could. We got mm-hmm. churches in every community. Why can't they? They can. They yeah. can put ballot boxes in the churches and people from the congregation and the neighborhood could go to the church and drop their ballot right in there. So, you know, there's other, there's ways we've got to start teaching the faith-based community how to, because here's what we're teaching them now. We're teaching them how to sit on their butts in a pew and do nothing. I'm praying about this issue. Yeah. Well, hey, you walk past a guy on the street, he's starving. Brother, I'm going to pray for you. Or do you feed him? You feed him. That's what you do. I'm praying for the nation. Okay. How about get out and do something about it? Get involved right. in polling. Get the ballot boxes to your, you know what I'm saying? We've got yeah. to do that. You want a voice? Use those buses. You only use them once every summer. Use them five times this year. Haul your people in it. Get them down to the state capitol. Hey, by the way, that 40,000-member church, every one of them goes out every week and canvasses 10 people about who you're going to vote for, all this kind of stuff. So you're you're now suddenly connecting with 400,000 people every week. You think that might have an impact on election? I've run elections. (laughs) It makes a huge difference. And and that is that is so that is a, a perfect thing to say to folks because and that's only the beginning. What I just described is and what you described, these are just two honestly very small things. They could have a big impact as far as they go, but they're small things. There's so much more. And people yeah. are not willing to do it and, and they sit on their like you said, they sit on their butts. Man, if I, I remember uh, growing up young in the church, you know. Where you just got to show up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know, it's like, okay, well, that's all fine. And, and hopefully you'll get something really good coming from those three sermons every week. But what the heck happens after that? I mean, that's, that is what is lacking right now in this country. And not just people of faith, but people of goodwill, wherever they are. This is what lacks in this country. And for want of it, BLM matters at this stage. And they really do matter right now, sadly. And they don't need to matter at all. Those, by the way, I, I want to pick up on that, and then we'll, we'll close down with this. Yeah. We were at a rally in Denver not long ago that my friend and that I've worked with, Pat Neville, who's the minority leader in the House GOP caucus, uh, support the police rally. What happened? BLM and Antifa people come and overwhelm it. And where I, were I we? There. I was like, I was yeah, I know. Yeah, remember? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, the, look at what happened there. Where were our people that, right. that you know, and we, and uh, brave and excellent people were there. Don't get me wrong. Everyone that showed up were fantastic people, but you, we are allowing, that's a, that's just a, in my opinion, an example of how we are allowing these fraudulent ideas to overwhelm us. It's not because they have overwhelming numbers. It's because we don't have an overwhelming response. That, that's a great way of saying it. Exactly. Exactly. We're not, we don't that, have an overwhelming response. That, that's, that's all that's happening right now. Because you're always going to have people that think that way, whether they show it in that way 
or whether they hide it internally, it still has an effect on your culture. The question is, what's the counter? No yeah. bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. We sit around people of goodwill, people of Christian faith. They sit around and think, you know, I'll just take it. You know, that, that's kind of where they're at. That's, that's what Patton was addressing when he said that. Sure. Like, no, we, we're not, as he said later on in that speech, and it was kind of a compilation of a few of his different speeches they put together for the movie. But as he said, we're, don't, I, I want no reports coming from the field that we're holding our position. We're constantly moving. You know, we're not holding in on anything. Yeah. And, and um, that attitude, that heart and spirit has to reemerge in the church because that's the heart and spirit that meek Moses had. You know, we talk about meekness. Oh, yeah. You, we, we think meekness means mild and needy pamby. It doesn't mean it at all. It means not selfish. It means other-focused. It means determined to do what's right. This is a, the fundamental thing that I'm trying to communicate through this whole against nice concept is that, you know, and Moses was no namby-pamby guy, man. He was tough. And, of course, Jesus was meek and mild, but he was tough as well, too. Courage in every right situation to do something, to take action. Humility as a human being. Jesus was meek and humble of heart, of course, but I mean, he's God himself. But for those of us who don't have divinity in us, and we don't, we're just created in the image of God. Um, we have to have the humility before God to understand that we just don't know everything. So we may even be co courageous to make a mistake and get a little overboard, but do we have the humility to come back and correct it? But it's the moving, it's the courage that needs to happen. We lack it in this country of amongst people of goodwill, and it's got to change. It has to be organized. As you say, we have to think through what we're trying to do, but those strategies are all there. We see them in historical examples. We see them in the Bible. The, the, the strategies are there. Just go to read Nehemiah for a little bit, you know? We yeah. have a wall-rebuilding effort to undertake in this country so that we can bring it back to where it was, and it's hard, and we will be challenged. We'll be humiliated uh, as, as, all, as Nehemiah was by those who wanted to oppose it. But now it's time to take that on and build it up. And we lack it. And that's what I hope by talking to people like yourself on this podcast, that's what I hope to inspire people to do. Uh, last couple last words. You follow up on that if you want to, and then let people know how they can get a hold of you and, and learn more about what you're doing and stay in touch. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Look, my, my, I'd leave this advice to people. Go on the offensive and everything you do in life. Look, we, we got rid of ISIS, most of it, because we went out there before it came to our nation. Get out of your homes and go stop this in the streets of your cities. Um, take the offensive. Get out there and find out, you know, you know, what's going on, because it's going to show up on your front doorstep. Get out there and share the gospel. You know, take the offensive. Get out there and vote. You know, get out there and take the offensive. Don't wait. Um, you don't want it to show up on your doorstep in any, any way. You don't want to lose your freedoms. Um, and people are re literally trying to steal and take those things away from us right now. So um, you know what? People can get in touch with us on our website, Jim. Uh, www.recoveryofchildren.org is our website. Um, and when it comes to child trafficking, we've got uh, Recovery of Children on Facebook. They can get in touch with us there as well. Um, and um, 
yeah, I think that's about it. It's been, it's been an honor to be on your show with you today. Thank you very much. And uh, just, you know, do more than pray, do more than pray, you know, get out and take some action. You know, we've got to, um, that's what our forefathers did. <laughs> you know, yeah, so they did at great risk of their lives. Yeah. yeah. Basil Boz, so uh, thankful for you also and feel honored for you to come on the broadcast today. And uh, Anything that we can do to get the message out and help out, you always got to let us know. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for joining us today on the Against Nice podcast. Please be sure to go to our website, www.politicsisntnice.com. You can sign up for our email list there just at the top right of the webpage. And make sure to follow us on iTunes or Spotify, or Stitcher, or even the iHeartRadio app. And give us a five-star rating and let people know what you think about our podcast. Again, www.politicsisntnice.com. Join our email list at the top right hand of the page there. And follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining the show today. We'll be back soon.